Uh, I thought I should be preaching on the flood today. Everybody would have a, a real good analogy and, and feeling of that. But as I thought through the rain and the time change, it'd really be neat if we all gave uh, to everybody who came this morning free Chick-fil-A gift cards. <laughs> Or free hall passes, something to reward uh, the faithful who have shown up on spring forward morning. So uh, back to Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 about the grace of God that the Apostle Paul had experienced, uh, which we also experience in Christ. So this morning is actually a part two. If you were here last week, you heard me share about uh, the mission trip to Nicaragua that I took along with James Kingston and, and Terry Harper. I don't see, is James here this morning? I know, I know Terry's back there. So I'm going to talk a little bit about more about what we experienced there um, in Nicaragua a couple of weeks ago. And so with the sharing personally about that last week, I really only got through the first portion of this text. So that's why we find ourselves here in Galatians 2. Uh, with the same text and the same notes that we had last week. And so this week we're going to go beyond the correction that Paul gave to Peter. And we're going to look at the truths that he corrected Peter with that talk about the gospel of God's grace. So from the confrontation to the correction and the truths that he gave. So Galatians chapter 2 beginning with verse 9 if you're reading there with me. Paul says, recognizing the grace, amen, and we could, we could stay there. Uh, God, may we recognize the amazing grace you've given to each of us. Paul knew what that was like personally, so he says, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, to James and Cephas, that is Peter, and to John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So we want to minister and share the gospel and disciple the Gentiles and also the Jews. But the one thing they were uh, in total agreement on was verse 10. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I got in his face. That's my... Neil International Version interpretation of verse 11. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw, hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision and the rest of the Jews around him, joined him in the hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not, quote, straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that is Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jew, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So we watched what Peter did and how he faded away and took a wrong exit by withdrawing, holding himself aloof, fear of other people, and then the hypocrisy behind that and how other people were swept away in that. So we spent last Sunday morning really looking at verses 11 through 14. Well, in verse 15... Here's where we get the heart and the meat of the sermon. Because here are the four essential and vital gospel truths that are corrective to all of us when we wander off the way. And they were corrective to Peter as he had wandered off the way from no longer associating with the Gentile sinners anymore, but, but going back to Judaism and back to adding rules to the gospel in order to have table fellowship with others. So in verse 15, Paul writes this not only to let us know what he told Peter, but also to let us know what he wanted to tell the Galatians and what you and I have to regularly preach to ourselves 
And it's essentially the doctrine of the justification that we have by faith in Christ Jesus. Justification before God by faith through grace in Christ alone. Martin Luther said this doctrine is so important that we must hammer it into their heads regularly. All right? And so if you feel like, man, he's been pounding this, he's been preaching this, it's for good reason because we can really trace all of our waywardness and all of our getting off track to misunderstanding the essential truths of the gospel. So Paul says in verse 15, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we, and he seems to be saying, Peter, we, even you and I, and all of us who were Jews by nature, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners, Is Christ then a minister of sin? He says, may it never be. If I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. But through the law, through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God Who loved me. The Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify or discount the grace of God. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Christ died for nothing. Uh, Perish the thought that we would have that Christ would have died for nothing. Father, thank you for the good news of the love you have for us through Christ. May we say with Paul that we know that you love us, that we know that you gave yourself up for us, not only so that we might be forgiven, but so that we might live a new life set free uh, with true freedom from sin and self and death, and fear, and pride, and, and, and all, all that sin encompasses, Lord. Thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. May that come home to our hearts and minds in a greater way as we work through these four vital truths of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I prepared this week to preach part two, I was reminded of something that happened years ago as we began our soccer ministry here at Glenlock. When we began our soccer ministry down at the ball field at Glenlock, we, as we still do, had guys and women regularly share uh, a a devotion or a personal testimony at halftime of those games. In the very first year we played, we had two really good young guys from college coaching our soccer team. One was Kurt Richeson, who is now a church planter, who was with us, who is now at Christ the King. The other one was a guy named Matt Sherling, and he was a lot like Kirk. I mean, they came to soccer dressed to kill. I mean, we're talking about church league soccer, and these guys come with collared shirts and ties. Man, they were looking good, right? So we asked Matt to share a devotion at one of the halftimes of the games. And I'll never forget that Matt had his devotion essentially written under the bill of his ball cap. I said, Matt, what do you got today for us for devotion? He says, here it is, right here. He took off his cap and he had written two things. Well, actually, maybe three. It went like this. Not rules, but relationships. Not rules, but 
relationship or relationships. can't remember the gist of it as far as how he worked that out. But that would be a really good way to sum up what we're talking about this morning. This is not about the rules. This is primarily about the relationship. Now, the Jews had all sorts of rules and regulations in their religion. But what God was primarily concerned about as he gave them the law was the love relationship that his people would have with him and with one another by establishing a right relationship with God himself in Christ. Now, the rules matter. The rules are still there. But we must start with the relationship, and that's what Paul is getting to in the heart of the gospel as he talks about his own personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how his relationship with God transformed how he related to the rules that God had set forth in his law. Now, Peter had began to emphasize the rules more than the relationship and relationships that come from a proper understanding of the grace of God through the gospel. So these were vital corrective truths that, that put central the relationship that we have to God and secondary the law that God takes off of our backs and puts, us, puts into our heart. So let me give you the four vital points because we do not want to stretch this thing out to next week. Number one, apart from God's grace, we are all ruined. We need regularly reminding that apart from God's grace, all of us are ruined. Where this comes from in the text is a couple of places that I want to intentionally point out. He's reminding Peter, and he's reminding of the Galatians, and he's reminding Pastor Neil. A man is not justified by the works of the law. A man is not justified by the works of the law. Now, this is the first place in Galatians that he uses that word, justified. Now, that word implies being put in the right. You and I can never be put right or made right by keeping the law of God. He says again in verse 16, By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He also said that as we sought to fulfill the law, we discovered our own sinfulness in verse 17. We ourselves have been found to be sinners. In verse 18, he talks about what, he, what was destroyed by the law, and what was destroyed was his self-righteousness, his pride, his arrogance, his sense of climbing up a moral ladder to meet the holy demands of God. So in verse 19, Paul concludes, I died to the law. The law slays us. The law exposes us. The law renders all of us guilty and helpless and ruined. So we've got to stop and ask, well, what is the law of God? Well, the law of God essentially are the Ten Commandments. Now, it helps me that I ran across something that Bennett must have drawn a few years ago in children's church. It's nice and colorful, and it has the ten rules, the ten laws that God has put into place, which reflect the holy character of God. Th these truths are unchanged, and they are unchanging. But as you honestly examine your life in light of these rules, you discover that all of us have sinned and fallen short of these. For example, this is the children's version, and not necessarily quoting from the book of Exodus, but number one, love God with all your heart. All the time. Do you love God with all of your heart? 
Number two, do not worship idols. Don't put anything in his proper place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Number three, respect God's name, which is his holy character. Number four, rest on the seventh, which is to honor and remember the Sabbath. Number five, love your parents. My parents are here to my right. I admit before them that I've failed in that one at times in my life, and they will probably amen that statement. Number six, do not hurt other people. Number seven, honor your spouse. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not lie. Number ten, do not want what other people have. Envy. As Paul examined his life in light of the law, Paul realized, I'm done. I'm ruined. I'm hopeless. Now, it took seeing the risen Christ and all his glory on the road to Damascus for the light bulb to go off. And Paul said to himself, I'm undone. I can't do it. I can't measure up to God's standard. I don't love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm not loving my neighbor as myself. And the particular commandment that killed him, that just laid him out, was number 10. Envy. Because he recognized that that was a statement about his heart and about the condition of his heart. So long story short, apart from a gracious work of God, all of us are ruined because the law does two things for us. The law opens our eyes and it shuts our mouth. Opens our eyes to what? The law was perfect and is perfect. The law is good and it is good. So the problem's not in the law. Where's the problem? The problem is in us. The problem is in our human nature. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, man has sinned and rebelled. We are, we are born rebels. And it reminded me of something a doctor said to me a few weeks ago. I finally broke down with the encouragement of Bennett and some other people in the church to get my blood work done. Drawing all this blood out of me and sending it to the labs and getting the results. And the doctor says to me, you know what you're doing? He says, you're really competing against your genes. You mean what, I, what I've inherited? Absolutely. It's in you. It was passed along to you. Now, they may recommend some medication and some lifestyle changes and so forth, but he says all of us are really competing against the genetics that we've inherited. That's true on a physical level. It's even more true on a spiritual level. Because you and I have inherited a sin nature from generations past, and you and I are, are, are not solving the problem. We're, we're part of the problem. As Billy Joel saying, hey, we didn't start the fire. No, the fire began with the fall of man. But, but I'll say this. We didn't start the fire, but we bring our own diesel fuel and tires to throw on it to make it worse, right? We do. So... The problem was not in the law. The problem is in, 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 in our nature. Therefore, the law cannot justify us because we can't keep the law. The law exposes my deep depravity. One commentator said this, You must do everything the law commands... And refrain from everything the law forbids. Do everything the law commands and refrain from everything the law forbids. We should feel like Isaiah in chapter 6 where he finally sees the glory of God. And what does Isaiah the prophet conclude? He says, I'm ruined. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among 
a people of unclean lips. Not only do I sin in my actions, but I'm sinful in my being of beings. Who can save us? I'll make one passing comment, and it's this. If the holy, righteous law of God cannot save me, then nothing I can do can save me. There is no activity, there's no talent, there's no productivity, there's no amount of money or intelligence or, I, you know, we used to have, you hear it all the time, hey, if I could only get bigger, faster, and stronger. Or we might say, well, I'm rich enough and I'm smart enough and people like me. <laughs> And what I'm getting at now is all the human categories we have to put ourselves in the right as we compare ourselves to other people seeking to justify ourselves, I start looking out at the rest of us. Rather than the holy, righteous character and law of God, because if I look in that direction, then I will say too with Isaiah, I'm undone, I'm ruined. I'm in debt. Now, much can be made about our national debt, which at last count was somewhere near, what, $32.5 trillion? How would we pay that off? Personally, we couldn't pay that off, but our spiritual debt is much greater as individuals than even our national debt is collectively and it renders the only way out to declare absolute spiritual bankruptcy before God. And that is what repentance and faith in Christ is. It is declaring absolute personal spiritual bankruptcy where nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. I have no righteousness in and of myself, in and of myself, I can never make myself right because all of us by nature are very wrong and that is the most difficult thing for our pride and our self-assertion and our self-promotion to admit is to admit that we by nature are wrong. That's the bad news. But the bad news actually elevates and highlights the good news. So hang on because my last three truths are really good truths. They're good news to those who recognize that they're ruined. So there's no flesh can ever be justified even by God's law. So where's our hope? Here it is, number two. Because of God's grace, we are redeemed in Christ. Oh, I've got good news for ruined people like you and me. Through faith in Christ Jesus is what Paul says in verse 16. Jew, Gentile, black, white, rich, poor, the ground around the cross is absolutely level. Through faith in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the person of God, we may be justified by faith in Christ. So justification is a gift from God purchased by the redemptive payment of Jesus for us on the cross. Paul put it like this in verse 20, he loved me and he gave himself up for me. That is substitutionary atonement through the cross of Christ. Jesus pays the penalty and the debt that I owe to my Creator. Where I have failed in my responsibility to keep the law, rendering me culpable and guilty, Jesus kept the law in perfection every moment his whole entire earthly life. So how can we be counted right before God through Jesus Christ? It's because Jesus lived the life of righteousness and law-keeping that we should have lived. He really did love the Father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He really did love his neighbor as himself. He perfectly kept the righteous demands of God. 
Not only that, but on the cross, he suffers for us the injustice and the death that he went through for us as a propitiation, bearing God's wrath as our substitute. But that's not all. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And so what Paul is saying is that justification is the declaration that someone is now in the right. God himself has put us in the right. We can't put ourselves in the right because we're all wrong. And how can anybody be right when everybody's wrong, right? So this is a gift of God's grace through the work of Jesus on the cross. God has put us in the right who were wicked enemies and still prone to wander. His atonement is the basis of our justification. And forgiveness of our sin is the fruit of atonement and justification. So through faith, which literally means believing into, we are believers who believe into Jesus. We cast ourselves and our life and all that we are upon the finished work of Christ, receiving this this gift. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So that's why in verse 16, Paul says, we know, we know it. Even we have believed into Jesus. This is an act of committal. It's not just ascending to certain facts that Jesus lived and died, but running to him for refuge and calling on him for mercy. Notice verse 20, which is an incredible verse. Paul says, when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. He's attached to Jesus. He's linked to Jesus. He's tethered to Jesus. So in the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul has his own death and resurrection. That's God's grace operative in the Apostle Paul's life through Christ. Paul is now in union with Christ. Because Jesus lives... Now Paul lives, and he lives a new life, a life of faith. This is such a glorious truth, bringing humility and joy and confidence and peace with God. Peace with God. Now, I don't know how you are when you fly and you get on those planes, operated by someone else, made by someone else. Worked on by someone else, created by someone else. But when I step onto a plane, whether it's domestic or international, it's really good for my prayer life. (laughs) All right. As I realize I'm in total, absolute dependence on something and some people totally beyond me. So I usually, before we leave, I run through a brief prayer. And then when we land safely, I don't ever take that for granted. I'm grateful. That's also good for my praise. (laughs) But last week I came across the fact that we launched into space four astronauts to live for six months on the space station. I think there were two Americans, one Russian, and one from United States. Arab Emirates. So when we went to Houston, we went to Johnson Space Center and we watched a short educational movie about the people who live on those space stations. Six months away from everything down here, totally suspended up there. How it affects their diet, their exercise, their body, everything about them. Uh, Mom and dad were with me, and and after we watched that, dad says, man, that'd be terrible to live six months. And I was like, I agree. But in that film, one of the astronauts, her last name was McLean. They were about to launch 
and leave Earth for six months and live in a space station. And her words were, before I launched off, she said, I had to be absolutely sure that everything in my life I was completely at peace with. At peace with people that I've hurt in the past. At peace with God. At peace with everything about my life. Here's the countdown. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. How in the world can sinners like us, with such a track record as we have, how can we not only launch into daily life, but launch into eternity facing our holy creator and be at peace? Total peace. Paul in Romans 5.1 said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And when Terry and James and I left for Nicaragua, and I may never see my family again, may never see all of you again. I don't know if you may be better than me. You may not have those thoughts, but I have those thoughts. What's your peace relying on? How good you've done? How well you've performed? Our being in the right forever is totally dependent on the grace of God to us through His Son Jesus. And nothing else. We don't have anything else. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. But because of God's grace, we are redeemed through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have been purchased and bought by Christ, sealed forever by the Father through the Son's blood. I've got to give you the last two. The number three, because of God's grace, we are not only redeemed through Christ, but we are reconciled to God. Reconciled. Now, you can have something paid off. That's one thing. But to have reconciliation is a whole nother ball game. Now the amazing thing that Paul says is that not only has Christ forgiven us and not only have we been redeemed, but we are reconciled to the degree that now he says this, Christ lives in me. This is the same guy that, that tried to kill Jesus and his church. Now God has taken up residence in Paul. Paul is now a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ. What an amazing reversal. What a gracious move by God that God would put the Spirit of His Son to live inside the Apostle Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ now lives. That's togetherness. That's oneness of a complete spiritual degree of the highest and deepest level from being separated and alienated and estranged to being one with God. Christ is not only our Savior, our friend, and our brother, but God the Father has made the life of His Son live in us to reconcile us and to unify us as one. So we are much more than just forgiven. And we're in the family. And the family's in us. So to illustrate this, when Terry and James and I were speaking in the churches and the clinics, and the, my, go-to, my go-to message from English to Spanish was Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So we stood up and we would share our personal testimonies. And the children in these schools would ask some really hard questions. I wish James was here because he got one that I thought, man, I don't know what I would do with that one. But this little kid raised his hand, and he asked James Kingston, where was God born? 
<laughs> I wish you could have seen James answering that one. I thought he did pretty good. <laughs> so I got up there and I started talking about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. You've heard those parables. They're about God's gracious love and joy for sinners and how God seeks and forgives and loves and the the son comes running back to the dad and puts his and receives all that forgiveness and the joy and the party. And then they ask for questions. But I ask them a question. I says, have any of you children ever lost anything really important to you? And my expected answers were maybe, you know, I don't know, soccer ball? Coin? Honestly speaking, they don't have a lot of material to lose. But two little hands went up, and they said what they said. I turned to my interpreter. I said, what did those two guys say? They said they both said they lost their dads. I was like, man, what am I going to do with that one? So I asked for explanation because I didn't know, does that mean they've, they've passed? What does that mean? In, in this community, these two dads had left that community up Rio, Bouquet, and Nicaragua, and they had moved to the United States to work. They had come here to work. But those two little boys, maybe eight, nine years old, they were processing that, and honestly speaking, the interpreters were saying sometimes the dads don't come back. Sometimes the dads don't come home. And I thought to myself, well, there's next level need for reconciliation that I, I don't know what that's like. And so all I did with that was tell the good gospel story that God our Father has made a way for us to be reconciled with him through the love that he's given to us through his son Jesus. And we have a father who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. And he's a God of restoration and a God of putting things back together. I don't know, but here we are alienated by nature from our heavenly father. And God the father has sent his son not only to forgive us, but to restore the relationship. Then number four, because of God's grace, we are remade. We are transformed. We are changed progressively. And here's my point. Not just forgiven, not just reconciled, but we are becoming new people. Because Christ lives in us and because Christ lives in Paul... God is remaking Paul to become a new creation in Christ so that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, those aspects of the life of Christ would live in Paul and through Paul. Paul is becoming a new person. He is being reformed and remade. And it's the grace of God that is doing that. It's the Spirit of God transforming and changing His life to reflect the character and the love of God. So, so God takes the law, as I said earlier, off of our backs because it's a burden that none of us could keep. And He puts it in our hearts. He puts it in our lives. John Bunyan put it like this. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and, and gives me wings. So Paul says, the life I now live, I live to God. And before he wasn't living to God, he was living all for Himself. By nature, Paul's compass was just like ours. Our compasses are set by nature due self. Our compass is set there. 
We live for ourselves. We like to live by ourselves, alienated and cut off from God and everything else. But God rescues us and saves us and redeems us and creates us in us a new heart and a new longing to actually then go back to the law. And rather than, rather than it punishing us and condemning us, it frees us so that we begin to, 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 to love God and people in the way that we should. No longer for ourselves, but for Him. So verse 21, I don't nullify the grace of God. I don't make it nothing. I don't discard it. I don't discount it. I don't throw it out. This word was used of grain that as it came through, the inspector might say, hey, this, this is spoiled. Let's get rid of it. Or it may be used of a guy who was totally incompetent in his job, like some umpires I've seen. Get, get this ump out of here. He's, he's incompetent. Nullify this guy. Sometimes by the way we live and think, we treat the grace of God and the cross of Christ like that. Look at verse 21. If, if we think that there's another way to God besides the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, then Christ died for nothing. Christ died needlessly. It was a waste. Who would ever say that such sacrifice... And the greatest moment in human history counted as nothing. Sometimes we say that by how we think and live and respond to people and situations. Do not nullify the grace of God. If righteousness comes through the law, Christ died needlessly. Christ did not die in vain. Because when sinners recognize their need of rescue, call out to God... He comes at just the right time, and today is a day of salvation. Do not harden your heart if you hear His voice, but respond to the call and the work of God through the gospel. Listen, when I was in Nicaragua, I started missing my family so bad. Terry can vouch for it. James probably can vouch for it. You know, when you're away, absence does make the heart grow fonder, just even for a few days, especially in a foreign culture. I started missing home so bad I was digging through my nasty travel bag where I got all my notes and my pads and I found this little medallion. It's been in my bag for a long time. It was nasty. I cleaned it off. On one side it says, Caper. Oh, this belongs to our little dog. I even started missing my dogs in Nicaragua. And that's, that's when you got it bad because they can be very annoying. And I was like, oh, man, that's sweet little caper. This is, a, this is sweet little caper's gold medallion that Tracy bought for him. And then I flipped on the other side and there's what it says. It says, I'm lost. <laughs> little caper wanders away, you know. Please call my family. 770-301-0664. Guess whose number that is? Yours truly. <laughs> I was like, a lot of good that's doing him. <laughs> Here in Nicaragua with me, I hope he's okay. <laughs> but man, if somebody called my number and said, your little dog's lost. If somebody called me as father and head of the household... Because of the love my family has for that little guy and for the sentimentality of being away from him for just a few days, I said I would go. I'd go. I'd do what I could to bring him back home safely. Now you multiply that by infinity and you measure that by the cross of Christ. It's no wonder that in Matthew 21 when they said, what shall we name him? His name is Jesus, which means God to the rescue. God to the rescue. Because of His grace, we're redeemed, reconciled, and remade. It's all there if you call upon your Heavenly Father and say, Father, either I'm lost or Father, I, I've taken a bad exit here. I, I need you to bring me and restore me by your grace. Father, thank you for your love for us in Christ. Thank you for all you teach us and show us, not only in your word, but through 
the experiences that we face in life. Father, by nature, all of us are ruined. We're all undone. We are, we are sinners in our heart of hearts in need not only of forgiveness, but in need of a new nature and, and new loves and new affection. And your word tells us that it's, it's the cross that humbles us and, and breaks our hard hearts so that we will be softened to respond uh, with faith and repentance and brokenness and humility that, that looks up, that doesn't look to ourselves or to the world around us, but looks up to the grace you've given us in Christ. Father, may we all look up to Jesus uh, this morning to draw from you the grace that we need, not only to be sustained in life, but to live for you, to live lives oriented around you rather than ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand and sing more about the grace of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Catherine. Do we have pictures for Nicaragua? Okay. Why don't y'all sit down? Because for a couple of minutes, uh, we're going to show pictures. And I've got, I've got one other announcement that I'll make as we close. We were intending to have these for you last week, um, but we did not. So bear with us. Thank you.
Amen. Please stand. Yeah, thank you, Randy, for putting that together. And James and Terry and I reiterate, thank you for your prayers, your love and support for us on the mission to Nicaragua. I'm sure we'll be continuing to talk about it. One quick church business financial type announcement. So our church loan on this building has matured. Uh, we started out about $1.4 million, so a lot has been given, and we are grateful for everything that's been given through the years. We had a capital campaign. We wrote it into our budget. Well, the loan has matured, and we owe about $236,000, which compared to where we were is not that much. So... The financial committee of our church looked at this, and one of the things we're thinking about is rather than going back to a bank for a loan, some of you might be interested in coming together and financing a certain amount of what's left uh, to get a better rate and a better deal, so to speak. Some of you may be led to say, well, I'll, I'll just write a check and pay the whole thing off. I don't know. It's, it's that, you know... <laughs> Whatever the Lord leads you to do. But in all sincerity, if any of you would like to ask questions or talk more about how to help finance it or how to help pay off the remaining debt, uh, you can see me or Terry or Chuck Stevens. Um, but I just want to say I'm, I'm grateful because we've come a long way and uh, our church is very healthy right now financially. And that's because of your love and generosity on a weekly basis blessing uh, the, the church and, and others with the, the generosity that God puts in your heart. So we're going to run that announcement a few weeks, and if any of you have questions or comments, you can see one of us. But again, we are thankful for where we are and, and thankful for what God has provided so that we can close this out and, uh, and bless Him with this wonderful place. Isn't it beautiful to come and gather and worship and share the gospel in the sanctuary that God's blessed us with. The other thing I don't want to forget is Crystal Rude had a birthday this week. Crystal, would you come here? We have a small token of our appreciation for all that you do. She is a five-star church leader in all ways. So gifted and so talented and so gracious. Crystal, we love you and your sidekick, Jeff. And we're grateful that God brought y'all our way. Any other comments? Or did I forget something? She sure did. And now she's called out for not being here this morning. <laughs> but my wife had a wonderful week. She's not feeling well this morning, so she didn't make it. But thank y'all for the blessing of, of the grace of ministering to her. Thank you, Howie, for reminding me. I did not forget that this week. I had three or four people remind me about both Tracy and Crystal. So I need, I need the help. Any other comments, prayer requests? We, choir's at 5. Uh, 6 o'clock, we have something for all ages. Adult Bible study will meet. Did I leave anything out? Okay. Close us out. Tell them what that is. March 26th. Uh, Sarah Beth mentioned it at the beginning, but Sunday, March 26th, uh, the choir is presenting the musical Experiencing God alongside our children. Um, and we're doing it March 26th because Easter falls between spring breaks. And as um, has been kind of explained, it's not necessarily an Easter cantata. It's really a cantata to prepare your heart for Easter. So I just pray that y'all come that night and bring people um, because the choir's worked really hard. So I don't want you know, 10 people here to, to see that work. But if that's what God has in store, that's what God has in store. Um, and so we trust that he's going to bring the people here who needs that ministry that night. Um, let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly Have a great week.